I think as instructors, maybe people try to, to be that person on the pedestal, be that person that they, that they want to be, but they can't because it's not ingrained in, their, in, in them. But if people perceive them as that person, perceive them as, oh, you know, my sensei does it for the love of karate. Well, yeah, we all do it for the love of karate or, or the love of the martial art. If we didn't do it for the love of martial arts, we wouldn't do it. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I am. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of martialartsmedia.com, George Faree. This podcast episode is the audio version from a video that was published on martialartsmedia.com. For the full episode, to download the transcript and get all the show notes, head over to martialartsmedia.com. Enjoy. Hey, George here from martialartsmedia.com and welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. So I've got a repeat guest and I think I just discovered the record breaker of repeat guests. Record breaker, Shane McMahon. Third time on the show, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Thanks awesome. for having me, George. Cool. So, yeah, welcome back. And so, we used to introduce Shane as Shane McMahon from Australian Karate Academy, but now we'll add to the introduction Shane McMahon from Australian Karate Academy and the Karate Over Coffee podcast. Cool. That's it. Cool, so we're going to talk about that, but Shane and I got chatting a week ago, so I'm going to put some context to this conversation. This might turn into a bit of a rant, I don't know, possibly, but um, it's going to be something that you really want to listen to if you are struggling with growing your business, your martial arts business. We're going to focus on karate, but I see this overlap in martial arts school owners I talk to that do jiu-jitsu, kung fu, taekwondo. I don't know if it's gener- a generational thing, but it's it's a problem. And we're going to take it head on. And I hope you get a lot from this. And if you have felt anything similar in the circles that you hang around in the martial arts community, and I, I hope this helps because this is the one thing that I see holding school owners back the most. So as you guys know, you listen to this podcast. I work with a group of school owners we call Partners. And, you know, we, we predominantly help school owners attract the right students, increase signups and retain more members. A lot of people always reach out and say, hey, we want help with our marketing. Like the first, I think the one thing that almost 99% of school owners always come to me for is, hey, we need more students. It always starts, that's where the conversation starts. But what I've really noticed of late is it's almost never the problem. It's, it's almost never the problem. It's not, yes, yes. Uh, it is the problem. You need more students. But it's not the root cause of the problem. It's not the marketing. It's not the, you know, we need the latest trick. All those things are relevant. The problem goes way deeper than that. And it's mindset and mindset around money. Mindset and mindset around money. And I think this is the biggest thing that's holding most school owners back, especially we're going to talk about karate, traditional karate, and Beliefs around money and 
how to overcome that. So, Shane, let's just talk about where you're at right now with mm. with your school. And from where I sit, you know, I, I think if we talk about traditional karate, I think that is like Shane lives and breathes karate. Like someone I've never met in my life. It's <laughs> seven, eight hours a day. Um, it's karate. It's talking karate. It's teaching karate. It's learning karate. And then, you know, when you look at, at his school, if anybody had to label, you know, throw those, what's those dodgy labels like McDojo or things like that. If anybody yeah. had to do that, they, they need a bit of a reality check, right? But not that anything that we're talking about is wrong, but if we talk about purists, Shane does karate. He doesn't add other classes. There's no Muay Thai. There's no kickboxing. It's karate. There's no birthday parties. It's karate. Everything is just centered around this one the core of what Shane lives and breathes. So I'll hand it over to you. Just like, where, where's your business at right now? How does it look? And and so forth. Yeah, well, um, so at the moment, we are uh, student-wise, we're, we're around the 340 to 350 mark in the in the one dojo. We have a dojo in Sydney as well. Um, and he's, he's looking around the 150 mark. Um, but... Karate-wise, I've never moved away from teaching the best quality karate that, that we can offer. So everything is is based around our style of karate. You know, we teach the little kids, the kinder ninjas, but we, we cap those numbers. We have kids and we have many, many adults as well. So we've got we, – we'd be close to 150 adults in our program – and that's not teaching anything other than traditional karate, traditional karate, or and kobudo to the weapons. So everything, everything is is geared around learning, understanding traditional karate. The dojo has gone from, you know, we we have to keep expanding the dojo, you know, to have everybody in there, which is like a great problem to have, um, but. It doesn't mean that we've we've watered down any of the karate. In fact, our karate has gotten better and better over the years because I've been able to, uh, instead of working a nine to five job and then coming and teaching karate, I've been able to, to focus everything on understanding more about karate because I've got not free time, but I've got allocated time during the day, like now, for example, um, to to spend on understanding more about. Karate and and um, like reading reading books about karate, reading internet forums about karate, watching videos. So I can spend a couple of hours a day do, just doing that and incorporating those that into my into the classes instead of going nine to five at a job and then and then having to teach, you know, two three hours after a couple of days a week. So every, everything is geared around around karate and karate getting better. And learning more about the older style karate, the traditional karate. Perfect. When it comes to fees, mm-hmm. would you say that you are the cheapest in the market or more sort of the most most expensive when it comes to, to fees? Well, I'm the most expensive, yeah, in my area, yeah. If you look at the karate schools around me, I'm definitely the most expensive. But I have the most available times. I've got a big training area. I've got a big 
I've got uh, toilets, uh, change rooms, air conditioning, new flooring. Yeah, you know, I am I am the most expensive. But not only that, I mean, my family have been doing karate for a long time. I charge the most because I deliver the most, and I consider my my karate to be the best. So that's that's you know that's why I, if you walk into a Mercedes dealership, you you know you're going to be paying Mercedes dealership price. If you walk into a Kia dealership, then you're going to pay Kia price. The Kia salesman may be wearing a tie or they could be wearing a polo. Nothing wrong with that. But if you go into a Mercedes dealership, they're wearing cufflinks. They're wearing tailored shirts. So the, the tiling on the floor is $100 a tile. The Kia dealership is $10 a tile. So you, you get what you pay for. 100%. So, I mean, I framed the word ex- you know, expensive and, and fees and, you know, cheap and expensive. But really what it comes down to is, and you've answered that, is you are priced based on your value. You're priced based on your value and not on just the time or so forth. Yeah, we, we also have the, the mandatory time is, is twice a week. The minimum time for you to train is twice a week. If you're after a once a, class, once a week class, then I'm not the dojo for you, you know. I'm only looking for serious students who want to who want to do serious karate. If if you're interested in just doing once a week a community hall, no problem. I will send you there and I'll give you the instructor's name. But for for me and the way that I want my club to be, it's it's a serious karate club where it's serious where we teach serious karate. All right. So let's talk about. Why do you feel that traditional? Let's let's start with, uh, you know, with your background. And if if you're listening, you know, in a different country, or you've got a uh, jujitsu school, taekwondo, it, it it doesn't matter. But we're gonna we're gonna go from Shane's experience, draw from Shane's karate experience, talk about mm. traditional karate. So when you speak to other school owners, traditional karate and so forth, where do you see the problem with them getting to the level that you're at? I think it's a mindset from from their previous instructor. It can be a preconceived idea that if you teach martial arts, you shouldn't make any money. Whereas in reality, in karate, I'll give you just a quick background story. When Japan came over and took over Okinawa, right, all of the martial arts that were taught, the martial arts that were taught was in the royal, there were 39 families, I think, something like that. 39 families, and that's where martial arts were, were created. So when Japan came over and took over Okinawa, those families had to leave leave the palace, and they had to they had to well they were made redundant more or less. So they had to go and teach, or they had to go and make money. And these guys, the only things that they knew how to do was read and write. So some some became writers, and and other people, all they knew was was karate, um, for example. So they would go on and teach karate for for money. Because that's how that's how they survived, and when, um, and and that's when, you know, for, so for people to think that karate instructors shouldn't make any any money, they were doing it over they were doing 150 years ago, which people just don't don't understand that. So so where did this belief then, you know, how did it infiltrate the the modern mm. you know our, in our times today? I I don't know, mate. Maybe maybe it was the Karate Kid. 
I, I, I don't see it nowadays because if you look in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and I'm only talking about karate because that's all I know, we were bringing Japanese instructors to Australia, paying the money for us to learn, learn karate, and then we would turn around and not charge our students. It may be an ideology that we want to be the samurai who doesn't make any money. You know, we, we go from, from village to village and, and you pay me in bread and you pay me in water. I, I, I honestly have no idea. Um, like it's that, that whole humble or the humility in, in, in karate or martial arts in general that we try to not BS but, yeah, probably BS about what really – karate or martial arts teachers you know if you're i say this a bit but um say it. i don't know if you're a bit of if you're an <laughs> asshole outside of karate before you learn karate then you're going to be an asshole learning karate right we so but i think as instructors maybe people try to to be that person on the pedestal be that person that they that they want to be but they can't because it's not ingrained in their in in them but if people perceive them as that person, perceive them as, oh, you know, my sensei does it for the love of karate. Well, yeah, we all do it for the love of karate or, or the love of the martial art. If we didn't do it for the love of martial arts, we wouldn't do it. You know, and, there, and there's that whole idea that, you, you know, uh, my sensei, my sensei or instructor, my, sen, my sensei doesn't make any money out of karate. He does it for the, for the passion. Yeah, well, how is he paying for his the rent? Um, you know, how's he paying for insurance? Of course, everybody charges money. But yeah, to answer your question, mate, I don't really know, but I, I would think that's where it would stem from. And does does he show up one hundred percent devoted to teaching your class, or does he show up half hearted because he knows that when he walks yeah. out here, there's a whole bunch of other problems to deal with? that's money related and and so there's a half a commitment intentions are pure and so we're not talking about intentions here right because mm. i think the intentions are pure but what what baffles me is that that money sometimes this ingrained and maybe ancestral belief about money um you know that's genetic yeah. Yeah. it carries over and somehow when someone's more successful in martial arts, let's throw them under the bus. And it's it's kind of the spoken about a lot, the, the the crab in a bucket philosophy. You know, if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and you watch them try and get out, it's, you know, one, they never get out because one just pulls each other down. Mm. And I've, I've only, I mean, I've, you know, I've lived in Australia a long, a long time. I don't know, but I've, I've only experienced martial arts well, from the start, mostly in in Australia, other than uh, you know speaking internationally and uh, speaking to other, other other cultures and so forth. So I don't know if it just stems from mainly from Australia, but no, it doesn't. I'll correct myself no, no. because it, it's De- it's definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah. Well. I see a lot of instructors who have 50 students and they always ask, how do you get more instructors? How do you get more instructors? But it's, it's not getting, sorry, how do you get more students? How do you get more students? But it's not about getting more students. It's about you've got to set the time aside to get more students. You have to have the times available 
for those new students. You know, if you're only Monday and Wednesday for an hour, you're only going to get a small percentage of people who have those times available. Instead of thinking, if you want to grow your dojo to to be something that is a full-time dojo, then you've got to be a full-time dojo. You can't expect to be a full-time dojo running two or three times a week. And juggling three other jobs to... Exactly, yeah. If you're really passionate about your martial art, then uh, you can really then you can dedicate yourself to it, and th- that's what I, I like to consider. I've dedicated myself to karate, and that's how I'm able to, you know, off- offer so many different classes. So Shane, let's talk about a term that gets thrown around. We've touched on it. It gets thrown around a lot. Um, McDojo. Like what? Mm-hmm. What comes to mind, or what triggers you when you hear the term McDojo? Yeah, well, I think those who who point those fingers, I know uh, some people would think that I'm a McDojo for sure, um, but generally they're the they're the people who are who are teaching karate from the '70s who haven't evolved their own karate. They're, they're still they're still practicing and teaching the same karate as what they learned, and really they have they have no idea what karate really is, and what karate isn't. They're not doing the research. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know why. Why we're punching to the body. Why we're punch, blocking to the body. They're, they're teaching stuff that that they don't understand the biomechanics where I, where I've put in the time and the research, and so does my father. And they're, they're still teaching. They're, they're teaching karate from the seventies and still charging five bucks a class, where the karate that they're teaching is is really poor. It's bad karate. And they're the ones that think they're doing traditional karate, where in fact they're doing modern sports karate. Whereas guys like myself um, are teaching traditional karate because we understand where karate comes from. We understand the changes that karate had. We understand what karate looked like before and what karate looks like now. And they're teaching karate from the 70s, 80s, 90s, whereas they're really just teaching modern sports karate from, from Japan. Um, instead of understanding what karate is, and for 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 them to accuse us, us me of being a McDojo, well, I've spent many many hours and many many dollars on understanding what karate is and what karate isn't. And these guys are out there at a local hall on a dirty floor, teaching two two hours a week karate from 1975, and walking parading around like they're a Japanese sensei. <laughs> forward and don't question my authority, all of these sorts of things. And really they are the McDojo because they are actually, if you're going to say a McDojo, it's awful term, but they're, they're not progressing their karate. They're still doing karate from 30, 40, 50 years ago, whereas the Japanese instructors who taught that karate didn't understand karate, didn't understand what they were teaching because their instructor didn't know what they were doing. Whereas now we can go back through and we're, we're researching, and normally say we, not me, I'm, I'm following the guys who are doing all the research, but these guys are, uh, are understanding what karate is and what karate isn't and, and how, how karate has, has evolved in the last 30 years, whereas these guys are still doing the same poor karate that they were doing without understanding biomechanics, how the body moves, how the body doesn't move. They're still, they're still teaching sports karate, think they're teaching traditional karate, where, where it's not. You know, my karate has evolved. Their karate hasn't. It's a word that I hate and I don't understand um, because I, I, I see it being used and 
it, for, for me, it comes from a place of jealousy. It's, it's, it's this place of, mm. well, would you value this person's karate or martial arts more just because if they were less successful than you? Okay, mm. so they, the karate is great and successful. Oh, but now they make more money than me. So now they have a dojo. They're selling out. Like, what a lot of crap selling out. Yeah. Or it angers me a bit because it's like, well, is that what we teach people in life? So if, if martial arts is a vehicle to do, improve people and improve your, your well-being way beyond what you do on the mats, then is this what we have to teach people? Well, here we talk about, well, we don't talk about, you know, bullying is, you know, is not accepted and we anti-bullying and we this. But between each other, between our peers, it's okay to bully each other. So it's it's a bit of this hypocrisy in a way. Like, yeah, don't bully. You know, we'll teach you how to physically not bully, but mentally we'll tear everybody else down around us, and that's okay because they are yeah. a dojo. I, I tell you where it stems from, George. It's it's insecurity, insecurity about their own karate or their own chosen martial art. If you are secure in your karate or secure in your martial arts, if you understand what you're doing. Um, then you don't even worry about what other people are doing. You just focus on your on on what you're doing. But for those who rant and rave about this McDojo, this McDojo, this guy's making too much money, that guy's making too much money. But obviously, this is a this is a crap dojo. It's because you're you are so insecure about the karate that you teach that you've got to pull everybody down. And that's what that is, that's what really what a bully is. The insecure bullying a bunch of martial arts. Who would have thought? Well, I was bullied by somebody not long ago, a very well-known person, because obviously they're insecure about what they were, um, about something that I said, and they're insecure about it. And I called the person on it and, and didn't hear anything else. But it's just because people are insecure, they're jealous. So let's talk about different pricing and positioning. In our partners program, we have a, a, a new section which we call on-ramp, which is it's basically the first 10, 11 steps that a school owner's got to walk through before before sort of graduating into the into the real group, into the, the, the official partners group. Until a few months back, everything was marketing and how do we get the marketing right. But right now, the first thing that we actually talk about is mindset. Uh, mindset and turning time-based pricing to value-based pricing. And what I mean by that is a, a lot of school owners would come into the group and they they feel like they're still charging per class. It's yep. per class or it's for this time. And it's like, well, that's what the value is based on the time. And a big focus for us is to shift from that to value-based pricing, which is, well, it's, it's not about the time. It's about what do they get in that time and what do they get in the time as in a full experience. And that is how you are able to raise your prices because it's almost not what you teach. It's how you frame what you teach and realizing that the outcome exceeds just the physical aspect of martial arts. And so let's talk, you know, just in, in current times. Um, no, I, don't, I don't know when you're listening to this or you know, if you listen to this in current times, but, um, you know, with the state of the world going from lockdowns in and out of lockdowns, and maybe you're not in lockdown right now, but who knows, there could be one coming or you've just come out of one. Um, but with that, with that happening, a lot of martial arts school owners are reverting to online classes and some are cool with that and some are not. And I find it fascinating that just speaking to some school owners that have got 
They're in lockdown for two months. They've got a 90% retention. Students are getting the value. They're still getting the value from being in the club. They're not physically in the club, but they get value, getting value from being in the club and being in the community. And that is a big step for realizing what your value is because it proves that the outcome that you get from martial arts and being in the martial arts environment exceeds way more from being on the mats and how you punch, how you kick, how you do chokes, how you do submissions, you know, whatever type of style you do. So let's talk about your process. Let's break it down, right? So you're a martial arts, you're a, maybe you're a traditionalist and you've only got a few students and you want to take a step up. You know you've got to grow and you know you've got to scope, but you may be in that situation where you've got one or two classes. And so you don't have the funds, potentially, to grow and scale. And so you've got to make changes to your pricing. How did you go about changing your pricing to uh, direct debit or sort of a recurring base and raising your prices? Because you were saying earlier that you're actually the most expensive in the market. Yep. So what was the process that got you there? I doubled the fees. And those who stayed with me paid double the fees and those who didn't left, but it was a very small percentage of people that left when I doubled the fees. What conversation did you have with yourself when you doubled the fees? Because <laughs> that's what, that's, how did you combat the little voice that was fighting you saying that there's no way I can double my fees? That's unethical. Mm. I'll be labeled a McDojo. Everybody's going to call me a scam yeah. artist. My well, look, peers are going to look down at me and call me a scam artist or whatever. McDojo is such a bad term. You, you, people consider anybody who charges fees a McDojo. If you charge for a grading, you could be considered a McDojo. So there's that mindset of being a McDojo. Well, I suppose everybody is a McDojo who, who charges money and everybody charges money. There's not, a, there's not a martial art club in the world that I know of that wouldn't charge money. If you're doing it at home, I can understand maybe not charging. But if you've got to pay rent, you, you, you've got to charge money. So it could be considered everybody's McDojo. So the mindset I did was, well, I'm, I'm worth it. The 35 years I've been involved in karate and when I say involved, it's not just once or twice a week for an hour or two. It is, you know, it's all day, seven, eight hours thinking about karate, reading about karate, writing about karate, talking about karate, doing podcasts about karate, doing videos, traveling, seminars. The amount of money that I've spent over the years and it is, yeah, it's huge. And uh, so... I think that my time is worth this. And if you think it is too, fantastic. You can pay, you, you pay your money. Um, if you don't, there's, there's a local community dojo down the road. Happy to send you there. Um, so the, the mindset was, I don't really care what other people think of me. Uh, I'm comfortable with what I really like. I'm happy with where I am. I believe my karate is fantastic and um, I believe we offer a fantastic experience, quality karate, quality experience. These, these things, and, and I charge what I think I'm worth. I stopped caring what people thought of me a while ago, mate. But, it, but honestly, it, it did take a while. It did take a while. If I'm going to be honest, it took a while for me to, to get over the fact that um, what people would think of me. Um, now, 
oh, I couldn't care. It's interesting because I, I remember the, um, and it's, it's a story I do tell a lot, but the first time we had a conversation was when you had, <laughs> yeah. you had a 110 students and the dojo was flooded. Um, yep. What I found interesting from that story was is that you listen to this podcast, it was episode number 44, if you ever want to listen to it, and you sent me a message straight after and said, hey, I did this thing that you said on the podcast and I got mm. new students or inquiries. I can't remember at the level which the result was. And then we got talking. And 110 students, you took a gamble on yourself and said, well, I'm going to do this thing. And we jumped in. We created some really good offers. Something we probably never spoke about was was mindset. But, you know, we, we just put the right offers in place. Mm. And before you knew it, it was 200 students. And then before we knew it, there was 300. And... Mm. Now you're sitting at a very sweet spot of 340, 50 students, and you've got a waitlist. Am I correct? Yep. Yep. So yep. we have a waitlist. Yep. For all all programs. Yep. How's your pricing changed from Shane that was at 110 students to 100 and well 340, yep. 50 students? Well, it. I'm able to employ more people, more instructors, which makes it easier for me, which gives me gives me the time to make the classes better, make the karate better as well. Um, I can instead of well instead of taking every single class, I can spend more time with my family, whether they like it or not. Um, and uh, so it allows me breathing space as well. Having more instructors gives me breathing space to to make my karate better, you know, so I can learn more stuff. Um, we have a separate black belt class where I teach. I love, I love that class, the black belt adults uh, class, where all we do is the secrets of karate. No, no secrets, but all we, all we focus on is all the stuff that, I, that I've, I've learned, you know, new, new, new stuff, more kubura, more weapons, all the stuff that probably separates my karate from other other people's karate, because I've done the I've, I've put the time in, you know I've been everywhere I've learned learned from many many people and um, and so that allow yeah, that that extra time allows me to make sure that the karate that I'm giving is the best quality traditional karate. Our karate is based on Okinawan karate, and uh, we have a Japanese. Sensei as well, who's eighty-eight. So, yeah, time is time is limited. But you know, it's it's based on based on kind of karate that was done a hundred hundred years ago. We include throws, joint locks, takedowns, the pressure point strikes, as well as weapons, as well as kakie, which is um, all different drills like uh, two-person drills, kumigata. Um, sticky hand, sticky hand drills, all of these things um, that I'm able to teach into my into my system, um, and it's, I'm not bogged down by teaching kata, you know, hundreds of kata. That's another that, that's a total karate podcast, but um, but these these are things that I've already done. You know, I did those things 20 years ago. You know, now I'm able to teach the best karate that I can. But the biggest thing is 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 the uh, it's not like I'm making a million dollars. 
Like, uh, I wish I was. Shit, geez, who wouldn't? But And you should for the value that you provide. Yeah, well, it, it also allows me to employ people, uh, uh, instructors, and to give back to those to to those as, as well we have a, a group of maybe 10 instructors who who teach and help out and yeah it allows me that that as well so it's not like i'm making all the money because again if i did all of the classes and all of those sorts of things then i would make all the money but i couldn't develop my karate and i couldn't give back because i'd be out there for, for four hours five hours a day teaching classes and um instead of instead of being able to understand more about karate. Yeah, so you, you, you're building the legacy and you are you're transferring knowledge. Okay, knowledge is not just ending with you, it's actually going through you yeah. and you're empowering the next generation. Yeah, building the legacy. That's, like, that's a huge thing that, that I'm trying to do, build a legacy for my son um, as my father did for me. That's the biggest thing I want is, um, is I want to build – a legacy where where the karate is the best possible, and hopefully my son takes up karate. Whether he does it, you know, whatever he does, that's that's cool. I'm not going to put any pressure on him, and my my dad certainly didn't put any put any pressure on me either. But the karate that my son is going to continue is hopefully better than mine, because I know mine is much better than my dad's. But don't tell him. I'll be sending this over to Bob. He'll, <laughs> I'm sure he'll, he'll be listening anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's better than my dad's, but we do we do more more and more than my father my father did because because um, I've got another thirty years on on top of him. You know, I'm, I'm, in thirty years when I'm his age, I will be thirty years further than he was. Gotcha. Yeah. I guess if we if we had to sort of start wrapping things up, if you're really stuck with your martial arts business and you're you know you're not moving forward, then maybe take. Take this episode on board. You know, if things if things triggered you that we spoke about, um, you know, and, and we were we were talking before this, and and you know, we we, mm. we went deep into a, a lot of aspects, you know. But if anything triggered you, then have a look at your, I guess, have a look at your relationship with money. You know, two things from this podcast that have that have stuck with me. Uh, one was first time I, I chatted, spoke to Kevin Blundell, and. Uh, you know, Kevin runs a, a multi-billion dollar organization. I think there was 24, 25 locations. I, I can't keep up. But one thing that he mentioned to me that really stuck out was the, the minute you charge a dollar, you're in business. Mm. And, and you've got an obligation to fulfill and deliver value. So if, you, if you're charging nothing, great. And that's great, right? If, if that's what you do, and a lot of people do that, right? And it, there's not, this is not about discriminating or looking down if, if that's a choice and that's something that you want to do and you provide value to your community in that way. But the minute you do charge a dollar, you are in business. Now, this is where you've got to decide, well, how much value can you deliver for a dollar versus a hundred versus a thousand versus, you know, whatever, whatever, however your fee structure works. And then the second thing was uh, Kylie Ryan, who's a mindset coach who I really respect. And we, we just spoke in the midst of, um, the whole pandemic. And one thing that she pointed out was when people pay, people pay attention. And when people are paying more for service, they, they there is a subconscious value to it that you appreciate it more and that you're more committed to it. Because if you're showing up and it's just costing you five bucks, 
you might not be that committed to show up. But if it's 500 bucks or you know, whatever the fee is, you might look at it a bit different and you might value it different. And that's for the same from your parents, from you know, parents with kids in, in martial arts as well. So if you feel you are stuck, then ha- have a look at your surroundings. Who are you listening to? Who's influencing your your thinking about money? And maybe maybe unfortunately that is someone real close to you, you know, within your family, or maybe that is someone higher up in martial arts that you aspire to, and they are the best and sincere and authentic martial artists. But their relationship with money is crippled, and you are forced to live under that same mindset and thinking. And if Unless you deal with that issue, you can have all the marketing solutions in the world and get all the students you want. They're going to be leaving, and it's it's not going to result to success. Yeah, I think there's a lot of jealousy. A lot of people don't understand what money is and how and how money works. And when somebody else has more money than them, people get jealous and point fingers and don't really understand um, what it ta- what it takes. Um, and it could be your, also your sensei has a, yeah, as you said, bad relationship with money uh, because their sensei had a bad relationship with money and didn't understand. Yeah, perfect. So just to wrap things up, two things. If you need any help with, with any of that, uh, do reach out to us, martialartsmedia.com. Um, you can contact us from there. And if you want to learn more about karate, Shane, since the last time we spoke, Karate Over Coffee. Yeah podcast yeah. tell us about that yeah. i love karate and uh i'm a big fan of coffee so uh it's a yeah podcast where i talk about all my experiences in in karate um interview people uh it's all karate based everything is based on karate obviously that's why it's called karate over coffee and yeah we we talk about lots of things dojo management sometimes as well um talk about competitions talk about how to uh, what kata what karate is and what karate isn't and um yeah only really scratch the surface so far got some sweet sweet merchandise there i can see i can see if you're watching this there's a shame yeah. completely outdone me with my plain black shirt and oh whoops that's it we've got a cup we've got a mug and we've got a shirt all right i'm gonna need to up my game that's mm. for sure um, where can people tune in to Karate Over Coffee? Well, you can go straight to the website, karateovercoffee.com. We've got all the episodes there, or you can follow us on iTunes or Spotify, however you listen to your podcasts. There's a YouTube channel as well. Just type in Karate Over Coffee. Yeah, there we've got some shirts available, karateovercoffeeshop.com. Wherever it is. It's yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. All right, perfect. Shane. Thanks so much for being on again. Uh, We might break another record and have you on for episode episode four of the. Oh yeah, when I hit my when I hit five hundred students, for sure. When you hit your five hundred students, okay, cool. Well, the the half. I almost called it the half century mark. The half. uh, Mm. The five hundred mark. Yeah, five hundred mark. Yeah. Cool. So we'll 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 call this uh, part part three of. Part three of twenty of the the, <laughs> the, the Shane and George sub division yep. podcast Sounds that good. overlaps over martial arts media, uh, the martial arts media business podcast versus karate over coffee. 
And I think this is where we got to call it quits. <laughs> Thanks for having me, George. Thanks, Shane. Speak soon. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with other top smart martial arts school owners and have a chat about marketing, lead generation, what's working now, and or just have a, a gentle rant about things that are happening in the industry, then I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group and in there I share a lot of extra videos and downloads and worksheets, things that are working for us when we work, help school owners grow and share a couple of video interviews and a bunch of cool extra resources. So uh, it's called the Martial Arts Media Community, and an easy way to access it is if you just go to the domain name martialartsmedia.group. So martialartsmedia.group, G-R-O-U-P. There's no .com or anything, martialartsmedia.group. That will take you straight there. Uh, Request to join, and I will accept your invitation. Thanks. I'll speak to you on the next episode. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.